Welcome, Dave. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us on Radio Free Flint. This is a, a highlight of my of my year. Oh, thanks. Dave, you wrote a book, which is called... It's called The Flint Tony, A Savory History. This is a book about something close to the hearts of many people who call themselves Flintstones. Your book is interesting for a lot of reasons, but to me it's interesting because it has recipes. Yes, it does. Tell us about uh, the recipes. Well, the recipes, that was the whole reason I wrote the book in the first place, was because of the recipe, the popular recipe with the ground hot dogs and the pound of ground beef. Here in Luna Pier in 2008, my uh, oldest stepson and I uh, operated a Flint Coney stand down on the beach about a quarter mile south of our house here. And we made 72 batches of that recipe and sold Flint Coney's right here in Luna Pier. I got into looking at the history of that recipe, which I thought was the real Angelo's recipe at the time. Bought a copy of Two to Go from the Genesee County Historical Society, which they published in 2007. That's a book. Yes, it is. It was a 24-page pamphlet. But that's where I learned that that is not the recipe at all. So the whole process of the book became finding out about the recipe, then finding out about the Macedonian people who developed the real recipe using ground beef heart from Abbott's, uh, nowhere near what the ground hot dog recipe, and then finding out their story of escaping the Balkans during the Balkan Wars of 1908 and 1913. And then it became a matter of telling their story for the last 12 years and putting this book together. Most of my um, listeners like to think about Flint when they think of Coney Islands. Right. And that's those were the Macedonians from the little uh, village of Goofy. And so, um, so other parts of the country, they may have been Greek. For example, Detroit, those people were Greek. But in Flint, those are Macedonians. Now it's Greek, Macedonian, and Albanian. Those are the, the people who are operating those places now. And when I started looking into, okay, what's the difference between a chili dog and a coney? That's the difference. A chill, the only difference is that a coney is from a place owned and operated by Greeks, Macedonians, or Albanians. It's not a matter of the difference of what's on the hot dog. It's who made it for you. Greeks in Detroit, American Coney Island doesn't use beef heart anymore, but the one next to it, Lafayette, they use beef heart. And in Jackson, they use beef heart. Only the restaurants in, in uh, Michigan use beef heart. Chili or coney sauce, to me, the definition of who made it for you. It could be a Macedonian making chili sauce. It could be Macedonian making what they call coney sauce. But to me, those three cultures are what define a Coney Island. Now, if I go to whatever city in, in Greece where these uh, Macedonians live, or Macedonia, and I want to order a Coney Island on the menu, am I going to get one? No, you're not. They won't even know what it is. That happened when they came through Coney Island here. And that's described in both Two to Go and in my book. One of the things that didn't make it into the book there's an ad from July 3rd, 1920, Flint Original Coney Island Lunch. They didn't always serve what we know as a Coney today. And I'm gonna show you this. This is from 1920. And this says, Coney Island brought to Flint. And it says, Red Hot. 
before Simeon Brayen came to Flint, they were serving New York Coney Island Red Hots at Flint Coney Island until he came in and developed the recipe that we know today. But when you went to Tiger Stadium as a boy, the old Tiger Stadium, you would hear vendors walking up and down the aisles saying, Red Hots for sale, Red Hots yes. for sale. Yes, those are from New York. Those are Coney Island Red Hots. So when you use this, this terminology that they're Macedonian Coney shops, you are really saying that these are people from Macedonia and Flint that actually run and establish them and run them. Yes, absolutely. Looking into Flint's Flint's history, if you had to list the the most famous Coney Islands in Flint, objectively, since you're an expert, what would they be? <laughs> the ones that seem to get the most attention are Starlight, Capital, Atlas, which is now Dom's Diner, Palace at Genesee Valley, Angelo's, of course, now Gillies up in Mount Morris. The cover of my book, the bottom two Coney's there. I shot that picture in August at Dave Gillies. Now you missed what I think are two of the high volume places in the Flint area, which are Starlight Coney Island. Oh, I thought and, I mentioned them. <laughs> and, and Mega Coney Island. Oh yes, Mega in, uh, Mega got a lot of attention in Coney Detroit, uh, written by Joe Grimm. Uh, he did a whole story on them. They were Albanian. That's one of my favorites to go to. If you look back historically, in Flint, some of the first Coney Islands were located on South Saginaw Street, right? Yes, they were. Quite a few. There were seven downtown at one time within just a couple blocks of each other. For the audience uh, benefit, you have a map someplace I saw in this book for an yes, addendum to the there map. there are three maps. Yes. You could go on a Flint Coney Island food tour if you want. Yes, you could. I thought about putting something like that together. Well, still time. There aren't any downtown anymore. No, but some of those downtown are the ones I remember as a kid where, you know, my mother would take me to get a haircut at the old Flint Barber College. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'd walk past this spooky place called the Brass Rail, mm -hmm. which was spooky to me at the time. I'm sure it was a lot of fun <laughs> if you were could drink alcohol. And then we walked further to the to the north on the other side of Saginaw Street. And we would come to these Coney Islands and they had like little cafe tables inside and the guy in the window screaming all kinds of stuff and hot dogs were in the window. And then you went to the back of the restaurant and they sold Stroh's beer. Yes. What happened to that place? I have no idea. I haven't. Finding the history of individual places can be difficult at best. One location, 200 South Saginaw, that was... New System Coney Island, Hot Puppy Coney Island, U.S. Coney Island, Mike's Coney Island, Nick's Coney Island, and then Mike's again. So Nick's. they changed hands so many times. If you look at the cover of the book, at that top photo, yeah. Nick's is sitting right next to Flint Coney Island. He's still around, by the way, Nick. Oh, oh, he is. Yeah, Nick George. Yeah, that was his father's uh, or his uncle's restaurant. And he's from Grand Blanc, very successful businessman. Even that one changed hands so many times. Finding out any of the history of why it closed when, that's almost impossible to do. You made an interesting uh, comment in some of the promotional materials to say that the Coney Island was one thing that Flint really was a success story. Yes, yes, besides, it was. You know, electric 225 Buicks. 
and the Chevy Corvette. I mean, putting the Coney Island right next to those things, maybe don't eat those Coney Islands inside your new Corvette, but <laughs> while you're driving, it's impossible. Right, right. But but you said it was a success story for Flint. Why do you say that? Well, it was a success story for the people. There were a lot of people, uh, the one gentleman thumbed through my book, I can't use control. He had made so much money that back in Macedonia, he built a seven mile highway and did a lot of other things for the village of Bufi and the surrounding area of Florina that there is now a bust of him in, the, in that town. He was recognized by different political figures because of the things he was able to do with the money that he made in Flint. So there was a lot of personal success stories among these individuals because of the amount of volume that they did when they were open 24 seven. Yeah, the heirs of these these entrepreneurs are in and around Flint and they've gone on to do other good things, but some yes. of the heirs are still there. Yes. George Polis, for example, is Whitehorse, the Whitehorse Tavern in downtown Flint where you have the, the Polis brothers. Oh, okay. Who still operate one of Flint's most famous restaurants. There are other books about Coney Islands. Yes, there are. There are. Coney, Coney Detroit is one of the better ones. Uh, two to go. The uh, Genesee County Historical Society doesn't uh, publish that one anymore, but it was pretty informative. There was some good information. In it. Now, one of the people I just recently interviewed, a young fellow by the name of Connor Coyne. Oh, yes. Who's an author, a novelist. <laughs> I actually a... mentioned him yeah. in the book with his a gothic Flint Coney. Yes, I do well, mention that, him. But Connor Coyne, who is a Flintstone, grew up in, yes. uh, no, he grew up in, uh, in East Village, downtown, uh, college and cultural area. But he wrote a book, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's a, he wrote the book in 2015 about Atlas Coney Island. Yes, I cover that. I've got it in my hand right here. Page 93, the Gothic funk style Coney. And I do a two thirds of a page on him. Just part of what I have here, Kogel's becomes the Richard Gerlich Bavarian Encased Meat Company, later known just as Gerlich's. Um, auto workers are referred to as <laughs> automobilians, and Flint itself is a Kawe, the author's fictionalized city referred to in other works. He does describe the recipe correctly, finely ground beef heart, beef kidney mixed with beef suet, brown minced onions, and sanguine spices, something magical. Nobody knows what, but the Coney chefs. And if they told, then they would not be gods. That's some of his writing about the Flint Coney. Now, is that a secret? The recipe, is it really a secret? Because, you know, I also interviewed Marty Embry, who developed a Coney, what you call it, a spice mix? It's, a, it's a Coney spice blend, yes. Yes, you can add that to pretty much any meat. He's even used it with the impossible uh, ground beef to make a vegan Flint Coney. So you can use it with just about anything. If you look at two to go, if you look at the description I just read you, the secret, really, it's really no secret. You go to Abbott Meat, you ask them for the 25 pound bag of the Coney base they provide to the restaurant and they will sell that to you. It's not frozen because they provide it to the restaurant to be used that day. I grabbed some last uh, August. Um, I, I split it up into one pound Ziploc bags. And I've taken that from Maine to Wyoming. I still have two bags left from that from that 25 pound bag. 
Now, there are a lot of people who fly into Flint just to get the Coney stuff, the sauce. Yes, yes. They they do make a four pound bag and a 10 pound bag, both frozen, that are already spiced and you just heat them up. But this 25 pound bag is what the restaurants use. That's their base. Unseasoned, it's just a the ground beef heart blend with a, a few other things in it. And, and yeah. that's it. And it's really inexpensive. Well, I just use ground beef like without all that grease oh, in it. Oh, yes, yes. And it tasted identical. And Marty, Marty Embry, for those of you who are listening, can go to that podcast episode. I think there's some contact information for Marty. If yes. you want to buy his seasoning stuff, if he lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, he's a Flintstone, well-known professional basketball player, star at Flint Central. He actually, I don't know how he produced this. Now, he did work at Tommy Z's at one point. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. As far as the, the so-called secret recipe, all they do is they mince up some onion, they put it in beef tallow or lard or vegetable oil, they add the spices to that, let it simmer for a second, and then they put that beef heart in. That's it. That's all you need to do. Some places used to add kidney. Dave Gilly told me that. Uh, they would grind up kidney and add that to it. That's possibly what Angelo's was. What does but, it give you? Some kind of flavor? or what, Yes, what? it makes it a lot more savory. Maybe what Angelo's was doing was that they were adding just a little bit of kidney. And that's it. That's all there is to it. How much you add, how you cook things, that's the differences between the different restaurants. But they're all using that same beef heart base from Abbott. Uh, what, what part of this Coney Island is the bread? Mr. Bread, Dave Hartley, a good friend yes. of many of my listeners. Yes. We call him Mr. Bread. I, I guess that was his company. Yes, he it was. Sold, he sold these buns. I mean, this guy he still does. made a, a, a lot of money by doing this. That's what they're still using. His son, Darren, and I talked just a, a month or so ago. Uh, Darren owns the company now. Mr. Bread, right? Yes. In my additional information, I have the conversation that I had with Darren about those buns. They had gone to Brown Buns when when his dad founded the company. His dad used to work for Tasty, and then they closed, so they decided to go ahead and make buns for the Flint Coney. But what they wanted to do was to make a seven-inch bun. Most buns are six inches, but the Coney Frank, the derivative of the Kogel Vienna, Coney, Kogel Coney Frank that they use in a restaurant is seven inches long. So they wanted to make a seven inch bun. So they went to Brown Bun Bakery in Detroit. They designed the seven inch hot dog pan that they used to make those for the Flint Coney's. Since they specifically designed that bun for the Kogel Coney Frank, that's why they call it the original Flint Coney bun. Uh-huh. Now, they seem to be steamed or something. There's some way they mm-hmm. make them softer than what yes. I got. Yes. Usually, usually, most of us put our buns in the refrigerator and forget about them until... <laughs> I worked for uh, Halo Burger back in 80 and 81. Steaming buns is no big deal because commercially, you can get these drawer steamers. You take the metal twist tie off of it and you throw them in there in the morning and then you just restock during the day and when you need one you pull it out of the steamer drawer and put whatever you want on it so it's it's actually pretty simple you just have to buy those steamers it looks like a, a drawer cabinet and there's two of them you could hold hundreds of buns in how many calories are in a coney island actually that's in my book well you're not saying um, it's a health food right uh never <laughs> never at all 
One of the things that happened was that Haloburger got sold to Blue Dorch. Yeah, Do Dorch Enterprise. So what happened was they had to release nutritional information for all of their products. So all of that information ended up in these fitness apps that you can get for your phone. Then they started selling the Flint Coney. Uh, Haloburger still sells a thing. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's on their menu. They had to put the information out. The calories is 411, according to the information that they released. Calories from fat, though, is 216, and total fat grams is 23. Wow. Um, eight grams wow. of saturated fat, cholesterol, 56 milligrams, and sodium, one gram. So well, that's not so bad. Protein gives you 14 grams. Yes. If you're making it the way that they do in the restaurants, if you're sauteing the onions in fat of some kind, use a vegetable oil, use some kind of lighter fat canola oil. So you can cut that back. I actually use the old beef tallow, which they used originally. I have a jar of beef oh. tallow in the fridge. That's, that's what McDonald's used to fry their French fries before the whole trans fat thing. But I have a small jar of it. it it's expensive though. Uh, the 16 ounce jar costs about $12. All right, let's not tell people about that because they may, <laughs> they may be making a trip to the cardiologist before long. So- Oh, uh, don't tell that to my pacemaker. <laughs> uh, well, the Coney Island, is it in the hot dog, is it in the sauce, or is it in the bun? And we talked about Dave Hartley and Mr. Brad really revolutionized both the Coney Islands, and I think Halo Burgers used them as well. Yes. Uh, and they were magnificent. But we haven't talked yet about Abbott's meat. I mean, is it in the, the hot dog? Why these things are so damn good? <laughs> I, I think it's actually a combination. When you put something together the right way and it has the right balance, and a lot of uh, chefs and kitchen managers will tell you, you try different combinations of some people prefer Starlight's combination, some preferred Angelo's combination. And that was variations of their sauce, it was how they treated the bun, it was the timings and the different zones on the flat top grill to cook the Coney Frank. And it's really a combination of things that gives a certain result. I, one of the things that I say in the book was that there is the, the distinct possibility that other meat packers over the decades, over the last almost century, may have tried to butt in on that business that Kogel had with the Coney Frank and Abbott's had with how they do the meat topping, and they just couldn't make it work. All right, well, so I want to go on to something else for my vegan friends and other health freaks out there. And that is, let's talk about Kogel hot dogs because one of their, one of their claims to fame is that they've always claimed to have the highest quality hot dog in the United States. And your book has this very fascinating section about hot dog regulations. Yes. And it talks about the difference between Michigan regulations and the federal regulations. Let's, why don't you go there with, with me on that? Well, there, there was some history back in the 70s where Michigan tried to really push their own regulations as to how hot dogs uh, could be made, how any kind of sausage could be made and defined, and they really tried to kick up those regulations. Companies, certain meatpacking companies that were national fought that at the federal level because then that would have been a problem for them. There were a lot of hearings over a period of, of months, maybe years, in D.C. 
where it was basically said that uh, Michigan couldn't do that. Michigan um, couldn't make a stricter regulation? No, they couldn't. Michigan basically has suggestions on how you can do that, but you don't, the meat packers don't have to follow them. But places like Kogel's Dearborn Sausage, who makes the ones for the Detroit County, and a lot of other companies in Michigan who make a natural casing hot dog, they still want to do it the way that they wanted to back in the 70s. So they just go ahead and make it better than anybody else. All right, so Dave, here's the deal. I read that section of your book. Okay. Uh, when I got done reading it, it makes a lot of sense. My my dear friend, Daniel Kildee, Congressman from Ontario. Oh, yes. He always says you don't like to watch the sausage making in Washington, D.C. because it gets <laughs> something ugly and something you don't want to see. So right. when I read that section, I immediately thought about Congressman Dan and the lobbyists bought some kind of rules that you're talking about. They want to put all kinds of crap in there, including eyes and tongues and all kinds of weird stuff into the hot dogs. And so most people won't eat a hot dog because of this. I mean, most people I talk to who say, oh, I don't eat hot dogs, that's why. Flint Coney's don't I, have that problem though because they don't put all that weird stuff in there, right? Yes, but I eat beef tongue. By itself. You, you eat and beef snout? You go to the beef, store and buy beef snout for dinner beef, No, beef beef tongue. No, but they put beef snout, snout and beef eyes. Uh, my dad got me into uh, into eating Kogel's head cheese when I was very little. It's a Western thing to where people don't want to eat that. And that's, that's part of what I get into in the book, is that these things used to be in Joy of Cooking. Fanny Farmer, previously Boston... School of Cooking cookbook, the beef heart, beef tongue, those kinds of recipes used to be in those books. But as of about the 60s and 70s, those recipes were removed. People in the U.S. used to eat that way. They just don't want to anymore. You're eating beef heart when you eat a Flint Coney. I she recommend my it. audience get turkey and ground <laughs> turkey and ground chicken and God help us, whatever's in that. However, <laughs> let me come back to your book again. Now, if somebody wants to buy this book, how are they going to get it? Well, you can go to Amazon and look for uh, Flint Coney, A Savory History. It's there in Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. Barnes & Noble has the paperback, but they also do the Nook. And you can also go to Arcadia Press. That's the publisher, and you can also get it directly from the publisher, Arcadia Press, which is a great press, by the way, for yes, histor historical publications. Excellent. You also have a website called yes. flintconeys.com. Yes, it is. Flintconeys.com. I mean, you wrote a book about Coney Islands. It's near and dear to the hearts of, a, of, of people. Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourself a Flintstone? Sure. Um, I spent so much time downtown. I lived on Franklin Street. I, I grew up going to the uh, Longway Planetarium. Well, my dad worked for Fisher Body and Grand Black. Really a lot of the hardworking uh, people that I try to identify with. And that's the uh, Flint Coney themselves too. They worked so hard. The places were open 24 seven. And they just worked so hard to uh, just to make people happy. Is there a future for the Coney Island? I hope so. I hope that comes back. Um, a lot of the places have closed. Very few of them left. There were so many for so long. But it was the industry that supported those places. The places supported the industry. So they kind of worked hand in hand. And I'm not sure 
how that's going to work anymore, but I would hope that it does somehow. What do you see for Flint's future, by the way, since you grew up there? There seems to be a renaissance going on that may be closer to a smaller version of what Ann Arbor has become. And you've got these nice little places downtown that seem to be getting a lot of good attention, especially places like the Torch Grill. There seems to be a lot of attention being given to trying to renovate and restore things in a way that kind of brings it sort of towards an Ann Arbor vibe, but more of a flint vibe. It's kind of hard to explain. All right, so the last question is, what's your favorite Coney Island? Detroit oh, or Flint? Well, Flint, of course, but I'm not one of those who will say, well, that's the only one that I'm going to eat. I'm one of those kinds of people who understands that people like what they grew up with. So of course I'm going to like the Flint Coney, but I will try Coney's from Grand Forks, North Dakota, where they have a really nice one, you know, to Texas. They have an interesting one with a red hot dog in Maine that they also put sauerkraut on. Hides of Liverpool, New York is one of our regular stops. Hides opened in 1907. They serve a um, white hot, the New York white hot, which is made with pork and veal. I have those as often as I possibly can. And they serve those on a New England roll, the one with the sides cut perfectly straight. But they steam those buns. With the amount of travel we do to and from the East Coast, I might have eight or 12 of those a year. And I really like them. You list any of these in your book, some of these places? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, people, people can make sure they, they catch up with their Coney on the road. That that white hot, there's a, I actually have a photo of that particular package. I went to Wegmans around the corner from Hides of Liverpool. I bought that package and I put that photo in the book. That served as a Coney in upstate New York. That's how the white hot is listed on the menu. Dave Liskey, what a, a, an honor to have you as well, my guest. You. I wish you all the success with your book in the future. And go Angelos. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks.